Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the, I don't know what to call it, interesting or strange aspects of my job is some of the correspondence that comes to me. Some of it comes through the fax machine. I don't know how they get our number. Some of it comes in rather thick envelopes. They're never just a few words. Even once I got a full-bone, hardbound book. And they're all from people who claim to be prophets. I, I started a collection and then I sort of gave up. When I get this stuff, I, I'm, I'll admit, I'm not thinking, gee, how am I going to tell this is a legitimate prophet or not? Uh, it doesn't take much more than maybe glancing through the first page, and I do give them, you know, the credit of glancing through the first page. Before you can figure out, this is not a prophet. This is a crazy person, okay? This is a person with just schizophrenia, and I've met him in person, too. They want to stand up and talk to the congregation about a message they had, and I had to say, no way, buddy. You know, are you getting up here? I even got a whole series of letters, and then the hardbound book came from somebody who's fairly well-known. Maybe you know the name Warren Jeffs. He was the head of, he, I guess he still is the head of this small cult from within a cult, the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. And they got in, he got in trouble with the federal government because some of his wives were minors and they had been solicited by him. And so he's in prison, I believe in Texas, for his sex with minor girls. And, of course, he sends the prophecies out, and you can guess that they're all complaints against the government. And why should I believe it? Well, it's written in King James English. That's the way God speaks, right? Yeah, into the trash, Warren. It must have cost them a lot of money to send, but they sent it anyway. Uh, The man is... What about some of the ones that we consider legit? I mean, John the Baptist, to to the casual observer, seems also a little bit out there. Why do we listen to him? Just because it's in the Bible? Just because we were trained that way? Does that make it legit? But John can at least say this. John's got prophecies about him. In our gospel lesson, Jesus points out, too, that he's going to go and pave the way for for the Messiah's coming. And then the other one, the very end of of the Old Testament, Malachi, he is the Elijah that is to come. I guess you could add a third, not in the gospel. John has an unusual birth. I mean, it's not a virgin birth like like Jesus, but his mom, Elizabeth, his dad, Zechariah, they're old people, and, and they don't have the benefit of, uh, you know, Boston IVF or something like that to, to get them along. They, they have a baby way later than what should have happened, and Mary's told that by an angel. So there's something going on there. 
And then you can see his impact on society. Without a doubt, false prophets can have big impact on society. I would throw, dangerously throw, Muhammad into that group. But John calls out people, and they walk all the way into the desert, a kind of miserable hot walk, to see what? Jesus asked him the very same question. Was it to see the reeds in the Jordan River? No, that's not that. See a guy dressed in fine clothes? This is not, you know, a fashion plate that we are looking at. Who is he? He is one of the greatest prophets, not just a prophet, the greatest prophet to that point. He baptized Jesus. He pointed out there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet here in this reading, in a way that's disturbing in a bit, He's asking from prison, are you the one who is to come or shall we ask for another or look for another? What does that tell you? Does it tell you that Jesus is not legitimate? Or does that say something that maybe we didn't expect? We don't expect prophets to be human beings. John the Baptist, you think he's tough as nails. Wearing itchy clothes and eating grasshoppers, that's got to toughen you up, right? But yet here in a prison, he, he asked to ask. He didn't expect to be in prison. Maybe he didn't expect the same things that Jesus did. And this teaches us not only that prophets are people, but it also teaches us that prophets don't necessarily know everything they are prophesying about. They are given a message by God. They faithfully relay that message. But that doesn't mean they understand every aspect of it. And it wouldn't surprise me if John the Baptist himself had false ideas about what the Messiah would be. I mean, it almost seems appropriate that no one should have it right coming in. Now, about Isaiah then? We spend a good deal with prophecies of Isaiah and admitted that they can be rather strange. I said it kind of helps if you see that these prophecies are almost like PowerPoints. They go flick, 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 flick. They take jumps. And if you look at it that way, they make more sense if you try to put them all together on the same at the same time in the same context they often don't make sense you look at isaiah and why do we why do we accept him we accept him because there's 600 years of history coming up to the time of jesus to prove the vast majority of his prophecies would come true. And most of them are about his contemporaries and would, within his lifetime or at least the next lifetime, come true. So you get to see all those things. And then you get the ones, the most important ones, that are about Jesus or about the Messiah. Are they legit? Take a look at Isaiah 35. That's your Old Testament lesson. Last week, I thought, 
Isaiah 11 was, you know, difficult enough. This is worse. This is hard to understand. But let, let me help you understand it. And you'll see how it's legit. So it starts off, first slide, using the PowerPoint model. The desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. That's scene one. When you see that, when you read stuff like that, don't you kind of tune it out? I almost do. It's like blah, 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 all this flowery language. What's he talking about? Well, the context is this. Galilee, which is in the northern part of Palestine, of course, is where Jesus grew up and and spent most of his ministry. It's in the north, and it's closest to where Assyria is. And Assyria comes during the lifetime of, of, of Isaiah and destroys the land. Now, when I went to Israel, uh, I got to see what Galilee looked like. It's got a few rugged hills, and then it's got one big valley through the middle of it, Jezreel Valley. And it's flat, and I guess it's fertile. And the current Israelis do a great job of irrigating it. They use drip irrigation. They've got tubes everywhere, just dripping water into the plants. Because the area is actually kind of too arid for, for most agriculture. They were rightfully proud from, of it. My, my guide on the trip was just gushing about all this agriculture. And uh, coming from the Midwest, is like, yes, this is a very nice farm. You know, he, he didn't, he, he said, look how big it is. It's like, you know, three, four farms in Iowa are bigger than this. It's not United States scale. But at the time, you know, it, at the time of Isaiah, too, it had people, it had infrastructure. I'm sure it had to have irrigation. And along comes the Assyrians, and they carry away the people, and they destroy it all. And when it doesn't have people to take care of it anymore or irrigation to plant crops, what happens? It goes back to the natural way that it was, which was maybe not... Saudi Arabia desert, but desert nonetheless. Scrubland, not very good for much. So Isaiah is saying, you know, this scrubland, which has now been destroyed, is going to come back. You'll see it come back. But he's not just talking about people coming back to irrigate it once more. He's talking about the fact that Galilee will be the place of true living water, it'll be the place of Jesus. So he says, strengthen feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will save you. This needs context too. The Assyrians push through Galilee, and they push through Samaria, and they get all the way to the walls of Jerusalem. 
Most of those people who lived in those areas all retreated. They knew that the Syrians were not very nice people, and they end up all packed into the walled city of Jerusalem, which, of course, quickly was running out of supplies and faced the prospect of starving to death or cannibalism, frankly. And so the people do have, what do they call it, limp hands, uh, feeble hands, and shaky knees. They are scared to death. But the word from Isaiah is, don't worry about it. God will take care of you. And then the very next chapter of Isaiah, it talks about how they send a few people out one day to go, you know, give up. And what they find is the Assyrian army, hundreds of thousands of them, all dead. God came to their aid. They just needed to trust. That was a message back then, but it is a message also for today. The next slide. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will go. Here's another slide, one that Jesus quotes from, to tell John the Baptist, what do you see? What, is, what am I doing? And he quotes part of this passage to say, you know, here I am. I am the fulfillment of this passage. This passage, going on with how Isaiah can bounce around in time, is once again not about Isaiah's time. It is about Jesus. The marker for us saying that Jesus is important and relevant to us, of course, is the Holy Spirit coming to us and giving us faith, but it also is verified by all the miracles that he did. Things that nobody else could do in history. But there is one kind of oddball in here, and that's the water thing again. To my knowledge in the Gospels, Jesus didn't do any water works. He didn't even strike a rock like Moses and get water bubbling up from the ground. What is that? But in John chapter 7, Jesus does talk about the Holy Spirit as living water. Now, if you ask me, what does the Holy Spirit look like? I would be forced to tell you, is a spirit. doesn't look like anything in particular. He can manifest himself in any way he wants. So how does he manifest himself? I can give you an example of it manifesting as a person, to talk to Abraham, manifesting as a dove at Jesus' baptism, manifesting as a candelabra with flames on it in Revelation. But I also can show you the Holy Spirit manifesting as a river. Not just once, but twice. In Ezekiel, and in Revelation 22, the water of the river of life isn't just a river. It's the Holy Spirit. 
And if you want to throw one more river in there, a whole river of fire in Daniel 7. That's the Holy Spirit. This living water, this thing that gives faith to people who are spiritually dead, that is how we know Jesus at all. And it would come bubbling forth at his time. That's what the prophecy said. The final slide then is this. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it, for it will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return. I'm going to have one more slide, but let's break that one down. What way? In in Jesus' time, I don't remember Jesus making any roads either. But I do remember Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, and enter by the narrow path, for wide is the road that leads to destruction. At least here it's described as a highway rather than a footpath that gives me reason to be hopeful for for the numbers that will be saved. But this picture is a metaphor, and it is talking about Jesus himself. He's the road. He's the highway. Those who are connected to him, those who are on that highway, they are made holy. And those people... are you and me and all the people from all times who've been connected to Jesus, when we are in that way, we are made holy. The other parts of it, the wicked fools, the lions. Back in Isaiah's day, if you walked around on a road, you really had to be on guard and probably be armed. There used to be wild animals there, even lions. Uh, Humans have since taken care of them for several centuries. You don't get much more than uh, ibex now crossing the road. And there also were highwaymen. And I guess, you know, if you're traveling around, you do have to watch out for, for them sort of still in Israel. Not too much the tourist bus, but everybody else. On the way, on, in our relationship with Jesus, we're protected. The Holy Spirit guards us. God fights for us. It, it doesn't mean that there isn't dangers. There certainly is. There is Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion, right? There are people like false prophets who would like to lead you astray, wicked fools. But only you could take yourself away from the true way. Nobody can force you off. God has placed you there. God defends you there. And the goal in the end is this, that they, you, will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Does that sound good? I know it's broad strokes, but that will be our emotional impact when we enter into 
eternal life here called Zion. So prophets, what do you think about those guys? I think 95, 99% of them are at best mentally ill, at worst demonically driven. But yet, they are all trying to create a fog, a fog of untruth around the truth, a truth that God did convey, at least in part, through prophets. And, And while those prophets, most of them are very ancient for us, And we live in a high-paced world where things change every few years. I mean, I can't even play a movie I bought in the 90s, right? Yet, the way to eternal life does not change. There is not a 2.0 version of it. There's just Jesus, the one foretold, the one who still is. We may be overcome with fears, very similar to the people living in Jerusalem, that we might live in a world that is a, a world largely destroyed. And there are several legitimate things to be concerned about that could do that. But even if that would come to pass, they couldn't necessarily knock us off the way. Our place is secured. It is defended by Jesus as we walk with him through this life, whatever this life may bring and it leads to the one place you want to be to that place where sorrow and sighing flee away where joy and gladness that's what we will have so keep that in mind you know as as you walk through this world there's been told for millennia Good news intended for you. Good news that cuts through the fog. And may you hold on to it with the power the Spirit gives you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.